out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is the C86 Show. I'm David Eastall. As you know, we love a special guest. This week is going to be the turn of the Yeovil bass band. It is the Chesterfields. Because I have recently caught up with the vocalist, bass player, songwriter. It was, or is, the one and only Simon Barber. Um, and also, just to say, they have got a new album that is coming out at the end of September 2022. It should be with us now, in fact. This is going to be titled New Modern Homes. It's on Mr. Mellow's Music. It's a classic, so um, go and check it out, buy it, it will change your life. But anyway, after several minutes of casual chat, we got down to that exciting subject that was the new album. Simon, tell us how it all came into fruition. Well, I don't think, so I don't think it was on our radar. I mean, it was. we might have just like gently been talking about it within the band. So basically, we'd got the, we got, we got the band together to go and do some, Gigs in 2019, we'd done a few other things when we got offered nice things like New York Pop Fest and a few other interesting things. And so I don't think we ever talked about recording like a new album, let alone a new album. Um, so we'd recorded some songs, um, Some we, we did a, like a five-song EP of some of the older songs played by our, our, our This Century's lineup. And... Um, and then lockdown happened. So then that suddenly, so my day job is producing a, um, a visual arts and um, performance sort of arts listings magazine for the southwest of England. Right. Um, and it's, quite, it's a pretty hectic schedule. And um, suddenly I'm, I can't, you can't produce a magazine and get it out there if, you know, it's full of things for people to go to if there's nothing for people to go to. So I was just, so the magazine was just shut down immediately. Um, and so then what happened was Rishi Sunak paid me to write all these songs on the album. Right. Good on, good on Rishi. Very, very, good, very good of him. I couldn't do, I was, you know, I was reading and then I had to, I had to get my bass and my amp out Um my granddaughter asked me to play some bass on a, a song she'd written called the lockdown song that she's she's only uh, nine or ten at the time <laughs> um for this song she'd written and she wrote this song and got got all the family involved and wrote, did a video which went you know went on youtube it's brilliant and <laughs> she asked me if i'd play bass on it but i had to do it remotely playing bass in my room through my amp into my phone so that she could then add it to the so it's all but because I got the bass out and my amp out um I started I said I think I quite like that bass line I wrote for that so I started playing the bass and then I started playing the bass all day every day and the songs just started started landing really you know right it just have to make you have to be there ready um yeah. And, it, and it all happened. Was it a lot to do with having the kind of sudden emotional space to? Yeah, I to... I think so. Totally, it was totally that. And also, I was going through, we were going through a really bad time with um, my mother. My sister had had to move to Sherbourne, where I live, and move in with my mother. She was very ill and actually died in June. Um, that that June, the June of lockdown. Not, not, it wasn't COVID related, but the COVID just made it really, really difficult. Mm. You know, I wasn't allowed to hug her when we took her to the nursing home and stuff like that. But then, yeah, so heightened, I think, yes, you're right. It's sort of heightened um emotions and heightened, I think, creativity. And I think um, so they started landing, and then we we started talking about it, um, me and Andy and uh, the rest of the band. Um, and because Helen runs a co-runs a, a flower farm, we could me and Rob and Helen could like rehearse regularly at a distance as the songs, you know, so start getting going on on the songs. And yes. Andy would send things over, ideas over, and we'd send things to him because Andy lives on the Isle of Wight, whereas the three of us live in quite close to each other in Sherborne and Yeovil. Right. Um, on the Somerset Dorset border. Um, so we were able to sort of get, you know, get the song as tight as possible, ready to record. So it went slowly. We just, 
And I'm not even sure we were even thinking it was an album. I was saying, oh, we'll be able to record something. In my head, I was saying, oh, it'd be great to do like a like a like a 10-inch extended EP or something. Yes. Then then Andy was writing some songs, and so there's three of Andy's songs on the album. There's one of Helen's songs on the album. So suddenly we had, I think we had 13 songs, which is it's always uh, and then whittled it down to 12 when we and then that I think the whole thing wasn't really thought out in that we then went with our friend to the studio in Wells to demo the songs. Um, and that went really well because um, we, you know, we've been rehearsing. So they're quite, they're quite tight and we just enjoyed it. But all the time we thought we were demoing the songs. And then I went and played the mixes of the demos. Still, they're still unfinished. Andy still had vocals and guitars to do. Um, so we knew he was going to come back and do that. Um, so then I took them to Bristol to play them to my brother, Mark, who used to be, was in the Chesterfields um, for the second and third album. Um, and so I, because I was going to Mark's, I thought I'd go and see John, my friend John Parrish as well, who produced the first album, Kettle, um, and now produces loads of great people. Um, and so he said, they both said, well, come around and play us the demos. <laughs> and I went around and they both said the same thing. They both said, these aren't demos. <laughs> and so John, John said, um, why don't I come down to the studio? So when Andy came back to play some guitar and do his vocals, um, and so John, John became involved at that point. And he said, well, I come down when you finish that. And then why don't we just mix the album here? So he's got a, he's got a, um, a, a studio in Bristol. So we that's what happened. But it was just everything just sort of fell into place at the right sort of times. And at the same time, um, I knew that Helmut Herr, who runs a label in Hamburg, right. Korea, um, who um, would, would, would he was he was a big fan of the Chesterfields when he was when he was very small and um, a teenager, I think, because he organised some tours for me and actually for Andy's band, the Caretaker Race, um, sort of early, um, well, end of the eighties, nineties. And Helmut was very interested. And so I, we sent over the, the mixes um, and he sent an email back sort of saying, great, let's let's do something. So suddenly we're on German label. Yes. Parrish is um, mixing our album and it's all happening. So that's sort of how I don't know. It wasn't there wasn't like a precise um, plan or anything written out at all, because at that time, of course, none of us were planning anything. No, um, we weren't able to. We were just going with the flow of what was happening and being. So there'd be times when we couldn't do things and could do things. And you'd be thinking you could do a gig and then you couldn't do a gig and, you know, all that sort of thing. So I think everyone was having to be just, you know, ready. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. Just just briefly, because you mentioned yeah. the flower right. farm as a, as a sort of place to. Was this to do with because you said that helped. In what way did the flower farm help? I was just. Um, um, was it because it, of you? It was it? Was, I was going to say, was there a big barn or was There's it just a very a... large barn there? Yes. Right. Okay. Sorry, did I not mention that? <laughs> no. um, yes, there's a very large barn there. So we could stand apart from each other, set up um, and just have a blast. So, again, lucky about that, because there is no way that we would have been allowed into a rehearsal studio or, or you know, at that time we weren't even sitting together in front room. You probably weren't even in a bubble with each other. You were probably no, breaking some No, so we couldn't play songs to each other in that way. We could only do it, like, via the computer, that sort of thing. So that was, that was everything just sort of, again, I think everything just sort of fell into place at the right times. So it's, yeah. it's nice, actually, because a lot of the indie bands from the 80s, their early years in the late, while being in the late teens or early 20s, were often unemployed or job seeks allowance or enterprise allowance schemes. So, and that I think helped, you know, in a slightly romanticized way now that, you know, a lot of people just had that full time freedom to just go and make music. You know, you got your bit of money, like 40 pounds, then, you know, yeah. council tax and housing benefit. And then you just went to happy hour at the pub and just got drunk and then had yeah, some fish that, and chips. That was, to- that was us totally. Yeah. <laughs> So it's quite nice, but with age, you, know, you can't do that. But re- you know, you know, you're yeah, with age. You got you, you've got your big, you got your grown up lives to be getting on with. Yeah, and there's just got, you I've just got... don't have that kind of ability to go to a pub at five a.m. or p.m. So um, yeah. for happy hours. So that was good. Just before the music, the 
talk about the album, but the artwork, I was, it was quite a striking cover you've got, which isn't um, one that I would often associate with indie pop bands at all, really. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I really wanted to do something that was a little bit different. I was starting to see um, all the other, you know, everything, all the other things that were going to be coming out, new albums, that sort of thing. And I just thought, I just really want, I mean, there is a classic indie sort of look, but the Chesterfields, I I don't know, I think we've always been out. I thought we were outside that when we started and then suddenly with the terrible Hilders doing all those subway sleeves, which was me and my then girlfriend, Amanda, that sort of, I thought we were outside of that then when we were doing that look, you know, that sort of thing. And then that became sort of the look in a lot of ways. <laughs> yes. Um, and then because I'm always wanting to do something that isn't what, what's expected and I'd, I'd like to think that at that time we were doing that but but you probably in looking back at them you just think oh yeah that's just that's, that's one of those classic um sort of indie c86 sleeves um <laughs> actually there's so much creative creativity within that all those sort of just before and the whole subway sort of sarah look and that sort of thing i think before that there was very very different sort of artwork happening you know when you think about um yeah, so the, the bands that were actually on C86 that weren't, you know, jangly pop. Um, there's a lot of interesting artwork. It's always yeah. been about record. The record sleeves to me are as important as the, I shouldn't say that, should I? It's, a, it's <laughs> the whole thing are as important as the music. I think, you know, I, I, that was always the thing for me. You know, there are bands that I've bought because of the sleeves and there are bands that I have not bought because I've hated the sleeves. You know, yes. I really like the music. Well, it's interesting because one of the bands I think is great, but, you know, their artwork is um, the Chameleons. Their, their album yeah. covers are just weird. Very, dis very, very disappointing. Funnily enough, <laughs> uh, one of the photographers of one of those sleeves, I think it was a sleeve of the church on it, um, he, he lived just down the road here and he was proudly telling me that. And I was like you, I was thinking, hey, yeah, the chameleons were great, but I hated the sleeves. I was a bit like that with the icicle works as well, I'm afraid. And yeah. never had any of the sleeves. Um, it was kind of weird. I suppose it reminded me because my brother, I was influenced by my older brother who was into prog rock. So obviously I kind of got to, to know the work of Roger Dean at an early age and then the work of, you know, Rick Wakeman and all those kind of gatefold sleeves and very complicated things that you used to do to just find the record. So so when indie pop came along, you know, it was there was a lot of diversity, but there was definitely a different vibe to the Roger Dean classic prog rock period. And yeah, yeah you know, and it was interesting. I suppose it wasn't by, you know, it, it wasn't designed by committee. It was definitely somebody within the band or somebody around the band that sort of went, oh, got yeah. a good idea. And uh, but and then you had, you know, bands like Marillion who were like that, the hangover from prog rock. And then the Chameleons just had this kind of album cover, which was all a little bit like, yeah, it wasn't. It, yeah. didn't, it didn't suit the music at all, which was strange. You know, yeah, um, it can be, can be horribly disappointing that sometimes. It can yeah. be. So, um, yeah, no, it's it's just kind of interesting. And obviously, you know, now that Cherry Red Records have been putting out these compilations, haven't they? They've gone from C86 up to C91, but now they're going back to C85, yeah, going pre, back pre, again. Yes, we're on, we're, we've scraped into C85 through... Uh, so our flexi, the first thing that came out was our flexi with the shop assistants. Um, and that came out in December 85. So we just scraped in. Right. Um, so that's that's on there. So that's the first time that's going to appear on anything um, that's not, you know, made of very thin plastic. That's right. Yes. I think Neil Taylor, the, the man, one of the th three people from the NME who did the famous cassette has compiled that compilation, hasn't he? So, um, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I do believe. So then, yeah. So look, the album, it's been, it's fascinating listening. And one, one of the songs that I was particularly intrigued by, so you can explain it a little bit more, is our songbird has gone. What was, yeah. what's the, what's um, behind that particular track? Was that's actually the one that wasn't written in this front room by me. Um, that was written on, it was like early days of lockdown. And I, it was my birthday, 26th of May. And we decided, my, my daughter and my grandchildren live about eight miles away. And we thought, well, why don't we go for a walk, meet halfway, have a picnic. Um, so we'd each have to walk eight miles, but four, four miles to meet each other. And then, and we'd done it once before. 
Um, um, and so we thought we'd do it again. And so I was walking, just walking out there, and the rhythm, I was for some reason I was thinking about Davy and the rhythm. I was, it was it was like a for me, it's like a walking rhythm. It might not feel like that to other people. Um, but then the words just started landing. And luckily, I had my I sang into my phone what I was coming up with the, the lyrics, the, the, I think it was the tune and then some words started thing and then it just sort of developed from there. And by the time I met them, I got quite a quite a bit of it of the idea and of, of what I wanted it to be. So this is, even with that, I, I did have, I've been playing around with a bass line at home. So I did have that as a starting point for the tune. Right. And it was, I didn't have a melody or words, you know, ideas for words. But it was very, very lucky that I was singing them into my phone because when I met my family, my granddaughter, Lexi, again, nine, um, pulled out a ukulele from her bag and she'd been rehearsing <laughs> You Are My Sunshine. And so they then they sang me You Are My Sunshine um, in this cornfield. It was a lovely day. And I'm absolutely sure that if I hadn't sung the, those ideas into the, my phone, I would have lost some of them or all of them because it was that. So it was such, such early thing. I thought, oh, because sometimes when you go back, that's why you have to keep a pen and paper next to your bed. Just yes. It's that sort of thing. I knew I had something. Um, and then, yeah, yeah, I was just yeah, wandering along thinking about Davy. And, um, and I'd never thought I was going to write anything about Davy. It's, you don't, like when he died, I thought, it's not something you, you you can't sort of right. I better write a song about it. It's like you can't sit down or write. I better write a political song or anything yes. like that. I think you just have them land, um, and then they. I think they're more likely to sort of work. You can't force them. So <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm really I'm really pleased with it. Um, and it, yeah, it's, I've got such lovely reaction from so many people. Um, Yes. No, it, it yeah. was, you know, I, I was kind of taken. That was the. Yeah, so that's, yeah, that's the, one of the, the, the refrain with all the, the names of the bands. That is those, because it was, it was about me and Davey and how we got the band together as well. It was like, it was like we were talking about our, our, what, what's our manifesto going to be? Who's going to sing? And it was never going to be me or Davey singing. Never. It was all at that time. I think that Smith's record had come out with Sandy Shaw singing and that's right. what we wanted to do that sort of thing so we had a friend Sarah who sang with the Chesterfields early on so we were always both writing songs for Sarah to sing and so when we first met up after our bands in 1984 had probably bands we were in had sort of split up or people had moved away um because Davey was in the Bikini Mutants um um, actually with, with Deb Gooch and uh, from My Bloody Valentine and a couple of other um, sort of friends. They were great, the Bikini Mutants. They split up because people were going away. I think the singer Chris was going to film school. and Yeah. And so um, Dave, Dave suddenly didn't have a band and I I didn't have a band and we, thought, well, we knew each other. Should we, should we see if we might be able to do it with very different characters? So we see if we could do something together. And he said, I'll come around. It was like a Thursday afternoon or something. He was off work. Um, and he said, just bring just bring your favourite records round and we'll just have an afternoon. So I went around with a bag of records. No, we decided it wasn't going to be guitars or anything like that. And we just sat and played records and had several drinks and just got excited about the sort of band that it was that we, because we were on this, we were both listening to the monogram set and Orange Juice and all those bands and, I think I think we played Candy Skin and you know by Fire Engines. It was that you know we realised that well, actually well, we actually we we could both do something like this. So that's how it started. So those band names are all the bands that were part of that day or part of of why we got the band together in the first place. But then also some names of bands that we came into contact with over the. Um, you know, throughout our time in the Chesterfields, sort of bands that meant a lot to us, like McCarthy meant so much. There was one tour where we just played McCarthy nonstop in the van on the entire tour because we'd just 
fallen in love with them and it was yes. just like so bands that had sort of really meant meant something yeah yes and there was that's, i think sonic that's from memory sonic youth gets a mention as well don't they well sonic youth get a mention because they're the band that stopped us having a number one album <laughs> uh, so yeah there's there's a sort of um a scan that i've put on our instagram page of the melody maker independent chart and it's sister sonic youth kettle the chest of horses like, oh. but you know i bought i had that album as well so it was um yeah you know yes yeah so uh, that's yeah, that's that's why they played it in you know sort of a kind of a major part, moment because yeah. i think yeah. i think it was when i was talking to um andy he only just he'd met davy quite quite soon he'd met him after years some random place like a was it a railway station and then davy got hit the next week which was kind right. of one of those tragics when was the last time you saw davy well bizarrely um two weeks before he phoned me out of the blue and because i hadn't really seen him or had relationship with him for for quite a while you know see him at various things because he was he wasn't based around this area anymore his parents moved to oxford um, and he'd 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 gone to Brighton, and then he was his brother was in New York. He was going over there, and then he was back in Oxford at his folks' house, which is where he was when it when it when it happened. And yeah, but he yeah he just phoned up, and we just had a little chat. Um, I can't even remember what it was about, but um, yeah, so that was the last time I spoke to him, and then the last time I physically spoke. Um, saw him was a festival um, that I organised here, which was quite a few months before, and I'd ended up taking him to the station so he could get his train back to Oxford. And we just sat in the car because we were early and just, um, yeah, he told me that he loved me and gave me a big kiss. It was, it was, um, yeah. So that was that was the last time I physically saw him, and then several months later was that phone call. Well, we probably just chatted about inconsequential stuff, but he sort of kept in touch. Yeah. I mean, I definitely would have, you know, we definitely would have um, worked together. I'm, I'm absolutely sure. And when all the bands started reforming um, um, sort of several years ago, when we decided not, well, well when I thought we, we, we couldn't or shouldn't, um, he, uh, yeah, I'm pretty certain we, we, would have, we would have done something then. Um, yes it's it's yeah. kind of it would be hard not to really so what is just going on to another track which kind of is further in on side two i think it's the penultimate one the waiting room is that to do because that's quite um that is the last song on the album yeah oh it is oh yes yeah, so, yeah, yeah that is the 12th last song yeah um is that was that to do with your experience over lockdown that was to do with i wrote that the the week my mother died I sort of had the tune, so it was that, I don't know, it was just, the waiting room is about, here we here, you know, it just sounds like silly when you just say it simply, but it's just basically, here we all are, we're all in the waiting room, and we're just waiting, so let's, let's just, just make the most of it, and that, you know, just like live and live, and so, that the, the lyrics in that are based on the last time I'd really had a brilliant time, which was when I went to Japan sort of before lockdown and spent. So each verse is about, is it like a little vignette from a sort of a little adventure I had in Japan? Um, yeah. So that's, yeah, that's, that's what the waiting room is, is about. I, yes. I, I saw it as a, a grand um, orchestral piece in my head, I was just hearing big sort of, hearing a big song. But in the end, we we put it down. It was sounding okay. And then I have got a bit of a bass orchestra on. There's like three different bass lines. You can't really sort of discern that probably. Yes. Um, that was a bit of a joke within the band that uh, Simon and his bass orchestra. Um, and I think Helen played one of the parts at the end. But I was just sit sitting here at home playing the tune over and just coming up with all these little tunes and ideas. Um, thinking of what what the what that could be, and um, maybe maybe yes, I, it, it did uh, slightly remind me of David Bowie's um, Black Star. You know, there was a certain melancholic kind of yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I was listening to that a lot when it's out. That's that's a fantastic album. Yeah. Yes, a bit too yeah, yeah. Well, nice, nice if it's got some 
something of that. Yes. And then, I mean, just kind of curious, because, <clears throat> you know, I think the album's brilliant. It has a freshness, Thank which you. is quite, you know, it, it's always nice to hear something that feels like it's, like a, I don't know, vital, fresh. I don't, you know, it's it's one of those ones. It doesn't feel like it's a, particularly a labour of love of musicians who are just really struggling to be bothered to finish it. It feels. No, I think that, as I said earlier, I think that's entirely down to us going in and thinking, just going in, the joy of being together in the studio again, and not thinking and thinking these are these are demos. We can just really enjoy this. I think it all comes from that. I did all my vocals thinking they were demo vocals. I just went in and did them. Um, Helen did the same thing. It was harder for Andy because when Andy went in to do his vocals and his guitars, John was on board, and so we knew that when he he knew when he went in, that was it. That was the these are the vocals that were going to go on the album. So a bit tough, bit tough. I mean, he did a fantastic job. Um, um, but yes, I'm really glad that I sang mine um, <laughs> with, with just with just that. I don't know, because I I put a lot of pressure on myself when I sing. I've always done that. It's got better over the years, but oh, you know, I've always deferred in the band to Davey was brilliant. One go in, one take, and I played in the band with my brother. He'll go in, fantastic, no problems, you know. And when we had Rob Ellis in the band, it was like I was in a band with three people, people who were absolutely brilliant, and I I was always felt that I was the um um. Yeah, I'd sort of keep out of some of those things, and I can't. Yes, uh, I guess because actually there was a no decades ago there was one of my I suppose not a favorite album, but one that I've got fond memories of called it was Rosanna Cash, and she did an album called Ten Songs Demoed, and I think she did them and then took them to the record label and said, "Look, what do you think? You know, I, are they good enough? Shall we go and now re, you know record them?" And they went, "No, actually, that's fine. You can just yeah." yeah so it was just that I think it's called you yeah. Know, and that yeah, was, you need to be. T- I needed somebody else to tell me that, you know. Yes, you need to um, be told. Yeah. and with with having John Parrish because he's he's got an amazing CV, and I did, I did an interview with him quite a few years ago because I noticed that he would oh, right. do he would do interview and uh, interviews um, production work with the most amazing indie bands like the Sidleys yeah. and people like that who just who are just kind of like you know they were like eighties indie gold weren't they they might have only yeah. put out four flexi discs but john parrish would have worked on them so that must be amazing yeah. i mean obviously his career's taken off and uh he's I still you know he's still like that <laughs> what was it like yeah. kind of having well, him john and I, were... I was gonna say what was it like working with him oh just lovely and the same as it ever was although we're both older and more experienced kettle was the first thing he'd produced that wasn't his own thing so it was quite I think um it was a learning curve for him at that time it's the first album he produced and that's what led to Brilliant Corners and the Care to Grace and other bands that as you mentioned um, um so but John and I go back to we were both at the same school he was in the year below me had quite long hair um and I one of the things I like to remind him of was when we then went on to Yeovil College, he was the ENTSEC on the student union. And in the college magazine, there'd, um, there'd be a picture of them and they'd say what they were intending to do in their jobs on the student union. And um, John Parrish's thing was um, 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 less live bands and more discos. Oh, <laughs> Deary me, that's terrible. Yeah. Um, yes. Anyway, I didn't realise his sister was Sarah actually until quite a few years ago. So yeah, yeah. Again, yes, she was. She was part of our our, our music scene down here as well. Right yeah. there, you go. So yeah. look, just just going back to the album. So is it able to explain? Mr. Wilson goes to Norway. Unfortunately, yeah. all I can think of is Phil Wilson. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's not not <laughs> Phil Wilson. Um, <laughs> But it's um it's I wanted to do that, you know. Um there's a song on Kettle called Oh Mr. Wilson. Right. Like one of my one of the early Bury Me and Dave, that song. I'd written pretty much the structure and the the had the melody and the title, and then took it to the sort of rehearsal. And then Dave just started playing this really discordant guitar on it, which at first I was thinking. Oh my God! Really? And then the more I heard it, the more I thought this is brilliant. So that was that was one of the one of the and then he'd 
add he helped write some of the words as well which are because he his he, his words were brilliant um and then i i was thinking for this album it's i really like that thing that buddy holly did of um writing a song called peggy sue got married so sort of letting people know what happened afterwards right um, and so i thought okay mr wilson he's he's closed the bookshop and he's he's gone off to norway he's had enough so that's 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 what that was about really and then andy and helen referenced the sort of the discordant guitars again at the beginning and i've I've nicked some of the tune from the original, but it's um, yeah. But also the reason I wrote it was because there's a there's a festival um, that happens in Norway called Indie Fjord up in the fjords, and it just looks brilliant. I really want to play there, so I was thinking, <laughs> well, maybe maybe if I write a song that references it, um, ah. falling in love there, then maybe they'll invite us to play one year. So I'm yes, still, so, cross fingers. Because I was getting a bit of a Proustian flashback because on the next, not the next song, but two songs in, Oh My Amber Sands. Yeah. I do remember my mum telling me when we were very young, we went on a Butlins holiday to Camber Sands. And I was start, <laughs> I kept thinking about this. So is this, what's this kind of reference towards? That's a love song um, for, the, for the ampersand. I love ampersands, but most people don't know how to use them. I really, I, I mean, I could get on a, I could get on my high horse now if you want and explain. See, yes. I think the, I think the ampersand is a, a brilliant, brilliant thing, because what it does is it puts, it makes two things one thing. So Simon and Garfunkel, um, you know, that's perfect. It's when it's when something becomes, it's it's used to make two things one thing. Love it, perfect, simple. Please keep it like that. But no. You see, some people put ampersands in sentences in place of the word and. I think that well, that's just lazy and just just you don't understand how brilliant the ampersand is. Ampersands are brilliant, but not, you know, when not not when they're misused. No. That's, what, that's how I feel. I've felt it strongly for a while. <laughs> so I thought, yeah. I write a song about it. Oh God, that, that's yes. You're you're channeling the spirit of is it David Mitchell? I get sorry, sort of. Oh yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I'm a big fan. I, yeah. There are standards. We have to have our standards, actually. So, because yeah. well, you mentioned that, um, is it Helen wrote a song on this album? Yeah. So I think after Andy had written his three songs, I think we started thinking we really need to have a Helen song on this album. So I think it was Andy push, pushing, pushing Helen for it. And uh, then she came up with what I think is an amazing song. I absolutely love it. And, um, and just fits in really nicely. I think all the songs fit, you know, this, the, all the 12 songs I think fit together really well. Um, you know, that might, that might've happened. They're all quite different in a way. Um, but yeah, so Helen sort of presented that thing. Oh, I think you know, how's this? And I, yeah, love it. Yes, no, I'm, I'm. You know, I do think the whole sort of the twelve songs do sort of kind of flow quite seamlessly, sort of from from one to another. And just kind of on the on that sort of front, my bed is an island. How did this yeah. song sort of come together? Um, yeah, that's. Um, that's that's sort of about a failed relationship, really. Um, it's, it's, uh, yeah, that's yeah. I think some songs aren't always about something. Um, so you're playing it, and then words land because they fit. Um, so I think that might be a song that's sort of mix of both. There's a few lines in there that mean you know, mean quite a lot to me, but probably just sort of seem random to anyone else it's sort of, yes um yeah there's yeah there's a few lines that do do refer to a sort of a relationship that sort of ended that was brilliant and then just just ended so blimey yeah. it's tricky because you mentioned that quite a lot you know songs that land so it, it does it, it does have quite um it's quite an interest in the creative process isn't it you know how how yeah. does one get into that kind of state to write a song and obviously walking four miles is helping um yes yeah. and also, you... i think i think the thing that i do is because i can't play the bass in a in a like i could not sit with you and like 
I, I have to ask the other members of the band what, what notes things are, and is I don't know if things are in a major or a minor key. Um, and so I think that's because I'm sitting there with the bass and I'm not playing what, I'm not play, going to the note that somebody might go to. I'm just like playing around and I'm still doing it that way. I think that's why I'm still able to be creative because I still don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. So, and I think, yeah, I've had conversations with John about this and I think he thinks I should, I should stick to that <laughs> because it works. Um, but I wouldn't be able to like, I wouldn't be able to, you know, I, I couldn't play in a covers band. I couldn't just like learn like by listening or anything like that. I could never jam. I hate jamming. Um, and all those things that musicians do, I, I just, I don't, I don't, I can't get involved in that. Yes. My God, after all these decades, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. So is it the words or the melody that comes first? Um, it'll be both, I think. It's to be like a rhythm thing. I think rhythm things are quite strong with me. So if I'm playing something that because obviously the bass is the rhythmic sort of feel. So there'll be a um it'll be something that is like a harmony to that or like a rhythmic thing of that or across the rhythms of that, um, which I've I've learned how to do a bit. Yes. Better. So yeah. just just kind of briefly, because um, I might have mentioned this oh, last last time, but when you know, because kind of when you were in your formative years, what was your kind of musical journey? Did you you know what were your kind of first albums and first singles, and um, what what kind of shaped you on your musical path? Well, being five years old when the Beatles started happening was like huge for me because my father was my father worked in advertising in London. Um, and it felt like he was part of that scene. And in fact, one one time he did take a, a client to a restaurant and Epstein and a few others, probably Mal and the Beatles were actually there in the other in the other corner of the restaurant. So I felt like I was part part of that. And then every Beatles single came home the day it came out. And I've still got my seven inch in the picture sleeve of Strawberry Fields and Danny Lane. So Beatles were huge. Then, but then I knew. And then got into some, you know, that I don't have an older brother or sister. So it was never going to be prog for me. No. Because um, I think that's how that happens. Although, you know, um, a lot of interesting things happen. Although I did have, as you mentioned earlier, I did have a couple of Roger Dean books. <laughs> I thought that was great. But then I, I, I believe that Johnny, Johnny Rotten had some Roger Dean books. Um, and then I knew and I remember feeling that when punk happened, that that needed to happen. And so I went to art college in 1977 and we were in Newport, South Wales, and there were bands every Wednesday on the circuit. So you'd go to a gig every Wednesday and then you'd go to a gig every Saturday in Cardiff, that sort of thing. But going back a bit, I think the first, so in the 70s, the first record I bought was the theme from The Persuaders by John Barry um, Orchestra. And then, so there's a lot of the, the first things I actually bought, but then, I think I left when punk happened, but when I went to art college, that was where it all, where I started buying records. Yes. Just with, you know, I'd be at the record shop. You know, I remember being at the record shop door when it opened. Um, so to make sure I could get my copy of Rich Kids on red vinyl, that that sort of thing. I was just, uh, yeah, all my money was going on, on records at that time. Yeah. And did you do a kind of one year foundation and a three year degree course on that? that kind of yeah I did studying. one year foundation in in Yeovil and then off to yeah off to Newport for three years art college I failed my degree because by that time I was playing in two and a half bands and I I hadn't concentrated properly on my thesis which was the history of British comics um and I was supposed to resubmit or go back and do the final I just never did because I'd, I'd come home and got into bands there was quite a strong scene in the Oval area. So this is 1980. And so played in various bands that, and Dave would have been, Dave was part of that scene playing, first playing in a band called The System right. before he was in Bikini Mutants. Was it yeah, quite, was it the anarcho-punk scene? Was that Well, quite... yeah, Yo, well, Yeovil had, our big band was The Mob. Right. Um, and that, they were great. And they were, so we were very, very proud of The Mob, you know, seeing them in Zigzag. Um, was like huge. <laughs> they weren't quite getting into all the music papers, but they were ours. And so, yeah, the anarcho-punk, the sort of hippie punk 
I think of it as. It's like yes. a, it's like a West Country. And my uh, friends of ours, Wilf, um, back to the art again, Wilf and Steve Batty, um, who are contemporaries of mine at Art College Foundation, were doing all the, the artwork for those sleeves. Uh, Wilf in particular was doing. So the look of that sort of scene, because Wilf was doing artwork for other people as well, and then they were on the Crass label and Wilf was doing you know, uh, artwork for that. that whole, the look of that scene was very much about the Oval, uh, the Oval Art College sort of, that that sort of generation. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, so your 80s was very much, you know, bands, Chesterfields, right up yeah. to the 89, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, yeah, it was split in 89. That was amazing. But you're, you know, because though you were saying about your bass playing and, you know, musicality, I mean, you didn't went into other bands post kind of the Chesterfields as well. Yeah. I had a band story. So I think I what was happening in 89s, I remember we were in our promoter's basement in um, Bielefeld in Germany just before the tour started, and there was me and Dave and Mark and I think it might have been Rob Ellis at that point drumming on that tour. And our, it was the first time our promoter played, played us Freak Scene by Dinosaur Jr. and Gigantic by the Pixies. And I remember Dave and I looking at each other and thinking, things have changed. <laughs> we love this. How, how do we do that? that? That's not the Chesterfields, you know. So I think there was a change of changing of the guard was happening at that moment. In the same way that the, the baggy thing happened, suddenly all the bands that we were on that were in our scene like Soup Dragons, suddenly every band had all the new songs had the baggy beat and they were doing that. It was just like, so it was like moving with that. And I'm actually glad that the Chesterfields did split up when they did and we didn't do that. We went off and did, the band I did afterwards did do that and that was a different thing. But I think the Chesterfields was a lot more about other things than... um, the grand shot and Dave, Dave played in a few bands in the Oval afterwards and uh, great bands. Yes. Uh, but we're, we're sort of quite grungy. So we bought into that, but it, it was sort of nice that the Chesterfields didn't become that, I think. No, no. Yeah. But um, yes, it would have been tempting. Did you then in the 90s, was there a period where you decided that was it with the bass and music and you were going to focus on your other career or get another? Well, I had to focus, I had to focus on making money. So I, yeah, um, started doing a lot of graphic design for sort of arts-related businesses and actually still doing record sleeves for people. I was regularly doing record sleeve work for Vinyl Japan um, and working with their office when they had an office in London. So I was still doing that and while doing other bands, set up a little label called Hair for sort of seven releases, um, still sort of getting involved in a few sort of fanzines. But all, the, the main thing was that um, I'd become a dad um in 91 and suddenly that's you know that's the most important i remember thinking when holly was born it's like oh this is i can't (laughs) up until i'd be thinking i just wanted to be on top of the pops so that was that was sort of like but suddenly i realized (laughs) that there were things a lot more um exciting than being on top of the pops and that was like becoming a dad and i was in a way i was quite lucky because my then because amanda holly's mum was an artist and she'd just been commissioned to do some 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 books illustrate some books and so i was i was the house father i was the you know i was the house um i was looking after holly for a lot of the early years and which i sort of really enjoyed so that's that's what happened to me and still doing a bit of music but it really wasn't my focus still interested yes. in music still buying music but it really suddenly became um less less of a focus yeah so when did you because was the first time the band reformed was that 2014 when you did a well we did we did reform in 93 to do a an album called flood for fun japan and then we went over there but it was a very brief sort of thing um um yeah i think that album i think davy and mark and i brought songs to it that we'd had in other projects and a few new ones. So it was sort of like a bit of a, um, I mean, I still like it as an album, but it wasn't sort of like, um, like the first, your first album is always your first set and you've lost some songs and it's always, it's that sort of thing. It's, 
Um, yeah, so we did do that briefly, but then, so then what happened um, was, and I, yes, you might remember, it might have been 2014, if you're, we were, when all the other bands were starting to reform, and the enemy did their, I think they did a Scared to Get Happy gig and a C86 gig. I think Scared to Get Happy gig, I think the Brilliant Corners reformed and did that one. And then there was the C86 gig, and they contacted me and said, would the, they knew Dave, died um, mm. and they contacted me and said because uh, this was john at cherry red um and said would would the chesterfields do it and i just didn't think i could do that so what we did was and we'd done a, i was playing in a band called design with rob and helen at that time um and we just i think we'd recorded an album and that was what we were sort of focusing on and we've been doing a few Chesterfield songs in the set. And then I, I thought, I, I really wanted to do it. And they said, why don't you do it as, and what a mouthful, as design play the songs of the Chesterfields. And they actually put that on the bill. <laughs> um, and so we did that. As, and to make it authentic, I, I, I stayed in touch with Andy, or, you know, all the time since, since, because he played in the Chesterfields in 88 and played our biggest, gig at Glastonbury Festival so we knew Andy from then um, um, and we talked with the caretaker race um, so asked Andy if he was up for it so basically Andy augmented design and brought the jangly guitar and 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 that brought you know the sound of the Chesterfields really to design um, and the gig went really well uh, we enjoyed it um, and then um a chap who runs New York Pop Fest got in touch. Um, I think Andy, Andy had been over there with the loft. Um, and then we, so yeah, um, he got in touch and said, would the Chesterfields come out next year? Um, and he knew we'd done this gig as designed for the songs, he said, but it has to be called the Chesterfields. And so, of course, the other three were, well, yeah, of course. <laughs> uh, um, yes. So, but it was still a thing. So, but I did. I did. I went to see Davy's mum, and I'd met up with Davy's brother just to say that I'm going to be doing this. Um, and even though towards the end of the chest was Dave wasn't Mark and I did co-front the band in the last few months, it still felt like we, I couldn't do the chest fills without Davy. So, and their response was just, "Davy's, you're going to New York, and you're going to play Davy's songs." Of, of course right <laughs> brilliant and it was so i but i needed that that was the thing i needed to know that it was going to be okay and that's all and that's still the thing um yeah to know that because otherwise you're a tribute band and also that's why it's nice that we've done this new album because i don't know how long we could have just been doing the old songs which is what a lot of bands are doing that's as i said earlier i'm 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 the artist, not the musician. So I don't quite have that. I I need to be doing the new thing. And now we have to be thinking about, and we'll have, we're meeting up this week on the Isle of Wight for rehearsals and and then gigs and then the tour. Um, one of the discussions will be at what point can, you know, within your set, because you and I have both, we, you know, we've all been to gigs where, and Paul McCartney referenced it at Glastonbury this year. Um, here's a new song. You know, we have to just get that right, I think. Yes. Um, luckily, we've now released three songs off the new album, um, which sort of people will know and want to hear. People will want to hear Songbird and people want to hear, hopefully, Mr. Wilson and Year on the Turn. So we can we can play those and play a few others. Um, so it's just gauging, gauging that right, I think, um, as we but I need I need to be, I need to be doing the new. Yes. But at the same time, you can't do a Chesterfield's gig and and not play, you know, Johnny D and completely and utterly and you know, lunchtime for the Wild Youth. Yes, but then yeah, I mean, it's interesting because a few bands, I think the Nightingales, just made mostly Rob Lloyd and the Nightingales, um, yeah, just do the new material because that's yeah. all, all they're interested in, and also they don't really want to remember how to learn to play the songs from. Right. three decades ago because it's like I can't remember how it goes it's like yeah. no but I can remember the last couple of albums because you know they're quite yeah. recent so it does make life a lot easier if you can focus on the new material than yeah. the old but you know as you said I mean yes 
Johnny D and completely and utterly, I suppose, are, are definitely there. But I don't know. I mean, I think fans now, I mean, it's different. I think if you went to see a stadium rock band, you know, like Bruce Springsteen or somebody, you'd you kind of want the hits and the, a couple of songs. But it's a bit of a different thing, isn't it, when you're in a smaller venue and you're sort of just excited. Yeah. To I, I don't know. It doesn't it doesn't. You know, it, it'd be different if the new material was kind of really avant-garde jazz or something like that, and you, or spoken word poetry. Thinking, mm, yeah. they should have put that on the poster. But I don't know. It sounds. It's got the essence, hasn't it? So it's not like. Yeah. Well, it's it's it's, it's interesting that you say that. It's quite good. We'll, but we'll see. I think we'll we'll know. You know, when we're doing it, we'll we'll know. I normally get a feel. Yes. These things. But you've I got mean, quite. On the last you... tour, people were just like, "Why didn't you play two girls in the treehouse?" It's just like the insanity of that bass line and singing along for me would just be, there's absolutely no way I could do that. Yes. And you've got quite a intense week, haven't you? In yeah. October, your tour. Your tour. Yeah. yeah. And on, on the days off, we're doing things as well. We're, uh, we're doing a video on one of the, the, the first day off. And then at the end, we've got the opportunity to go and film the whole set um, that, that can be broadcast the following week on, um, on YouTube. So um which yeah so and then that'll be it then i need to rest get back to my magazine and rescue it indeed there you go that is me or was me in conversation with simon barber from the chesterfields finding out more about their album and also live dates and uh, for those making a note they uh, these dates start on friday the 7th of october run through to the 15th of october if you go to their Facebook page, you will find out more information. And also the album is out and available from all good outlets. Anyway, this has been David East or the C86 Show. If you want to contact me, you can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, just do C86 Show. Also, all these have been archived. Aren't you lucky? You can um, yeah find that Spotify, iTunes, Podbeam. True. Anyway, have a great week. Stay safe.